Welcome to The Savage Truth with Cicely Davis. I am your host, Cicely Davis. The California Reparations Task Force calls for eliminating child support and back pay debt for black residents, reflecting once again the continued immoral and decayed mindset of an unfortunate portion of the black community. And I love the cocaine. I love the cocaine. Yes, cocaine was found in the White House, the supposed most secure and protected entity in America. Well, it wasn't the rock group Buck Cherry who left the cocaine. How did this happen and who was the user? And an action movie entitled Sound of Freedom has performed well beyond expectations at the box office, beating Harrison Ford's Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. I'll talk about the media suppression of those results and why we should go out and support the film in spite of its limited appearance. All that and more coming up on The Savage Truth with Cicely Davis. Welcome back. Thank you for tuning in and listening. Oh, I just realized that I started my show by singing I Love the Cocaine. <laughs> I, uh, I'm hoping to not regret that in the future should I um, continue to do something politically in leadership. But hope you are all able to celebrate and say happy birthday to this great USA in this path, uh, past 4th of July. I personally ate too much and am currently on a fast to lose the two to three pounds that I put on. Uh, eating way too many brats with relish and mustard and ketchup. And I ate a bomb pop. When's the last time you guys had a bomb pop? Um, you know, I don't know if you know this, but what a bomb pop is, for those of you who don't know, a bomb pop is a popsicle. And I was a kid in the 80s, and the bomb pop was really big. It's a popsicle. It's shaped like this in the shape of a rocket, and it has the red, white, and blue stripes. And now, because of the economy, it's this really skinny, pathetic thing, but I had a bomb pop. When's the last time you had a good old American bomb pop? But anyway, thanks for tuning back in. As Before we get started, as always, I ask that you would please like, subscribe, donate, and leave a positive review. It's greatly appreciated as we continue to realign with our true and exceptional American standards and culture, shunning this new, woke way of living. Um, how many of you know, listening right now, that culture is created, you know, culture is made. At the same time, unwanted culture is ridiculed. It should be rejected and it should be called out. And that's what we're doing here. Um, I hope you'll join me. And it's been a pleasure um, speaking with you and connecting with you. But speaking of ridiculing, rejecting and calling out bad culture, it's a great segue into the California Reparations Task Force. They have actually entered into a crucial phase. The task force proposed its final recommendation, and then it will just go to the legislation for um, consideration. Now, it actually pains me to do so, but I'm actually going to quote their last statement before that proposal was sent finally to leg um, legislation. The African-American story in the United States is marked by repeated failed promises to right the wrongs of the past, both distant and recent, and failure to acknowledge and take responsibility for the structural racism that perpetuated these harms. End of quote. Okay, folks, so let's just, uh, yeah, let's just get into it. So 
You know, it it makes me think about um, when I was in high school, right before I um, had a speech before class, I right before speech class, I um, got to class early in this particular um, uh, for this particular speech and um, just wanted to get there before the other students to unwind, get my stuff down, get my head, head clear for this speech. And I remember the teacher must have picked up on the fact that I was probably excited and a little bit anxious. And um, he shared a little practice that he used. He told me to do a countdown do a countdown backwards. And he said that what it does is it calms your mind. It lowers your heart rate. And by the time you get to one, you're supposed to be a little bit more calm and just have some clarity. Now, for the sake of this podcast, um, you know, and time for time's sake, I, uh, I don't have the time to count back from a thousand to one because that's just how agitated, that's how far back I would have to start in order to get calm by one with this ridiculous notion of reparations that we're still having to discuss and hear about here in 2023. But um, this task force, they referenced the United States, completely ignoring that Cali has never had slavery, never had slavery in the state of California, not to mention the many black leaders and politicians that have come out of the state of California um, you know, just to mention a few black mayors in San Francisco, Willie Brown Jr. from 96 to 04 and Landon Breed, the 41st and the 45th um, mayors, respectfully. Um, black mayor in L.A., you know, Karen Bass, the 43rd and Tom Bradley and many other people of color and high leadership and um, political positions and roles coming out of California. All the many black millionaires in California that lived and still currently live. We're talking about athletes. We're talking about movie stars. We're talking about working professionals, music artists, etc., who live really great, successful, and even elite lives coming out of the state of California. So where's the harm? What is the negligence by the way of the state of California? What exactly are the proven damages from 175 years ago? Now, I no longer have kids in school, um, but for those of you who are listening who do, you know this very well by um, attending, you know, sport events or assembly events. Um, just when you're in lineup waiting for your kids to come out of school or drop them off at the bus stop and things like that. But for those of you who haven't had kids in school for quite a while, um, you know, if you were to go to school now, you would notice that if, if not 50 percent, maybe even more of those kids are actually biracial. OK, half black, half white. Half black, half, half Hispanic, half black, half Asian, Asian and Hispanic, and so forth, and so many mixes. So clearly this whole racial thing, the people have actually gotten past it in spite of what the media likes to report and um, represent. But again, I ask, where's the negligence? Yeah, where is the harm? The task force is clearly unaware or generally ignorant, I can't tell which one, of the Supreme Court's ruling of affirmative action. Callie, as you all know, for those listeners who are listening out of California, passed Prop 209, making it illegal to give preferential treatment. Why would anyone, any non-Black, pay an additional $600,000 a piece, mind you, in reparations to people who cannot prove or show harm as said to be passed down by the way of slavery? You know, if I were a part of or in the room when this task force is presenting their case um, and kind of stating the quote-unquote harms, I would just, my hands would go up constantly with some, some questions. Number one, I just kind of talked about a little bit. 
How do you suppose non-Blacks pay the additional $600,000 a piece to ensure the $5 million you propose to pay for Blacks in California? Another question I would have, because they would probably say, well, it isn't just the state of California. It's all across America. We're just the California task force, you know? So, um, you know, and you've heard this before that America was built on the backs of blacks in this country, built on the backs of slavery. Um, you know, that's probably what they would default to. Um, and then I would just simply ask, what about the other states that never had slavery? Should they pay? And if yes, why and how much? Okay, so we're talking about 20 states in the United States who never had slavery in their states. So we got Cali, we already know that. 19 other states did not. Why should they pay and how much? We're talking about Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, Vermont, Wisconsin, the state I live in, Minnesota. We're talking about Iowa, Illinois, and Indiana, Ohio, New Jersey. We're also talking about Connecticut, Massachusetts, New York, New Hampshire, and Maine. Also, Oregon and Nevada, Michigan and Kansas. 20 states never had slavery. Why should they pay? And how much? I, I would love to just hear that explanation. How long would you have had to live in California for you to reap the benefits of this, these reparations? Okay, so is there a tenure to this? 50 years, 40 years? And let's say um, that this would actually come to fruition, which of course it won't. Um, once this is kind of decided on and they're just kind of giving you this leading language as if it's going to happen, let's say the ruling comes down and reparations is rewarded and you had just moved to California six months ago or eight months ago or one year ago. Do you qualify? I mean, these are the questions that I hope people have asked and they've probably not allowed anyone to ask because I'm sure it's just a, a big, large racist echo chamber when this is all going on. But I, I have questions. Why 5 million? Why not 10 or 20 or 50? I mean, who comes up with these numbers? Because um, it just as well could be, since they always say, I mean, the whole notion or the understanding is that you could actually never repay. So how did they arrive at $5 million? So here's what the task force cites. They cite health disparities, pollution, housing restrictions, aggressive policing, mass incarceration, and the war on drug as consequences of slavery. And here's what they're actually asking for. They're asking for free college tuition, funding for wellness centers in majority black neighborhoods. They're also asking for free college tuition, a dollar for a home. They want to get a home. They want to buy a home, but they're proposing that they only have to pay a dollar. Now, you know, my hands go up on that. How big is that house? Is that a mansion? Is that a 10 bedroom, four bedroom, two story? And where is what location? You know, what neighborhood? A dollar home. Free college tuition. And of course, you know, we're talking about that $5 million. And then, of course, that um, elimination of back child support. Um, so the California woke economists es estimated descendants lost out on more than $500 billion, citing over-incarceration, shortened lifespan, and black business devaluation. Now, they say the cash payout won't actually equal payouts. That's actually due, but that's actually up to the legislatures to decide. They are, of course, hoping California will provide the blueprint for the rest of the country to essentially renew the national reparations effort. And I'm going to tell you why that makes me um, really, really uneasy. Now, as you know, I live in the state of Minnesota. Minnesota is always looking to the left and to the right 
at Cali in New York and trying to, if not match, get out ahead um, to match or beat what New York and California is doing. Now, we've already had some um, mentionings of reparations here in the city of St. Paul, um, but I guarantee you that if California um, actually um, pays out for reparations, soon to follow will be the state of Minnesota because that's just always been the tradition here. So to quote Leo Terrell, this the this reparations effort is dead on arrival. It's DOA. D-O-A. Child support payments. Uh, it's clear that this task force is focused on an American-hating handout, get-all-you-can-get agenda backed by a bunch of racists backed by a bunch of racists. I mean, that's that's just the bottom line. So at least we know that if the reparations were actually paid out, okay, because you always wonder, what would happen if you pay out reparations? What would the people do with the money? I mean, everybody thinks about that. Well, we, one thing we do know, it wouldn't go back to back child support. <laughs> Even though they actually have the money to pay, they still wouldn't pay child support. This is so ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. So here's my actual take on this, everyone. So the Pew Research Center took a poll and 58% of Americans believe the legacy of slavery has had an impact on black Americans, yet 68% do not support reparations. Why? Well, for one, um, it's actually immoral to wish the sins of our fathers unto the sons. That's out of of the Old Testament in the Bible, but it's also impossible to get people who've committed no wrongdoing to pay for those who have to a group of people who wish to be paid for it. Okay. It's just simply wrong. It doesn't make sense. They want to be paid for work. They've never done stripes. They've never had, um, they've never been whipped. They haven't been lynched, right? You've picked no cotton. You've picked no sugar cane <laughs> and yet you want reparations. Um, so this is, just a message that I have to this California Reparations Task Force. Note, this $5 million is never going to happen. You haven't earned it. You haven't earned it. And it's just simply immoral. It's immoral to impose collective or generational punishment. Everyone knows that. This isn't something I'm saying to anyone that's listening that doesn't know. But for those of you who don't know or are just new to this podcast and trying to understand this whole reparations thing, it's just simply immoral. It's immoral to impose collective or generational punishment, okay? But I will say this. If you've had, if you currently have one, two, three, six, or 10 kids that you've created but not cared for, now that you absolutely do owe. You and you alone should actually have to pay for them. So this is clearly a distraction, folks. At the core of this is a very distorted, evil, and unfortunate view of blacks and whites. Number one, can we also say really quickly that um, someone actually needs to point out that black people, you, you aren't, we aren't the only minority in America, right? It's always this battle of blacks and whites, and it excludes all other, um, other minorities. It's always blacks versus whites. Blacks aren't the only, um, <laughs> the only, Blacks are not the only uh, minorities that have been wronged or have faced wrongdoing or persecutions. Whites is, it sees, it kind of perpetuates this narrative that whites are evil, oppressive people, too powerful for blacks to overcome, that blacks are helpless, that blacks are victims, devoid of the ability, the strength, or the apt 
aptitude to which other cultures have. And I, I like to just, you know, very easily point out Jewish people clearly persecuted for a very long time um, throughout history. It's in our Bible. We have this long history. And, and here's what the Jewish community decided. Okay. All right. We've been persecuted. Yeah. We'll even point the finger and say it's so-and-so's fault, but we're going to do something a little different to make sure that never actually happens again. Let's become the doctors and the lawyers, right? Let's become the electricians. Let's become leaders in industry. Let's raise up our children to do the same and pass on that legacy, right? Let's participate and lead in industry. Let's erect something called Hollywood and we'll own the studios and we'll become the actors and we'll become the unions and we'll become the producers. And we'll make sure that if this should ever happen again, you know, we're not at the wrong end of this thing because we own industry and we were doing it. Black people, we were doing it. We were successful. We are outpacing white people with earning. We were outpacing people with marriage, white people with marriage. We were in industry and uh, LBJ happens and we just decided that, you know what, immorality is the way to go. So we can turn back. This is just entitlement mentality at, at play and it has been a supreme waste of time. That's all this is. It's a complete and supreme waste of time. Black people can assimilate. We can progress. And we can do so without a handout from reparations. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repeat that. That's really important. Black people can assimilate. We can progress. And we can do so without a handout from reparations. That's to blacks who believe in reparations, who've been wasting their time waiting for it. It's also to white liberals, all right, who are just guilt-ridden, tossing and turning at night in their sheets, um, trying to figure out a way that they can absolve their guilt. And I mentioned the many Blacks in the beginning of this conversation, but wish to also mention the sacrifice of hundreds of thousands of white Americans and a Republican president who gave their lives, their livelihoods to eradicate slavery. It's important to mention. So because of the soldiers, the presidents, and the many civilians who lost their lives to eradicate slavery, I say that when it comes to reparations, it's not owed, it's paid in full. Blacks can, and we will have to, carry on our own. We can carry our own burdens. Whites cannot and must not bear the sins of those who came before them. There are so many whites who never, ever even owned slaves. There are so many blacks who owned slaves as well. And that's something, a part of history that we don't like to tell or we don't like to you know, acknowledge, um, especially those um, who are probably a part of this task force who have that same mindset. There were blacks who actually owned slaves. And, and slavery still continues today. Um, black people are not desolate. We're not forever broken. And there is no, um, we do not need healing from guilt, pity, and the benevolence of whites. We don't need it. We can assimilate. This is an insulting notion by this task force and too many others that believe in the notion that skin color alone is capable of making one race superior to another. Uh, in other words, the very definition of racism. That with no additional effort or core set of values or personal initiative, whites will succeed while blacks will fail. It's the overwhelming sad truth is that most black Americans today feel this way. This is the condescending evil of racism and low expectations. It really does poo-poo on black American potential. It ignores the fact that 40% of black households in America are in the middle class. 
thousands. We have thousands of Black Americans in the top 1% of earning in our nation. Thousands of Blacks in the 1% um, earning percentile. This is just a distraction. One proposed and jetted to the top of issues right before another before election. Okay, and we all know this song and dance and what's going on. It's the... It's a racial fiddle played for blacks to dance the proverbial jig only to be snatched away or faded after the desired election results in 2024. And basically what I'm saying is this, and you all know this, we've seen this played out over and over again, presidential election coming up next year, right? And so there's always a cause, right? There's always some um, carrot that needs to be dangled. And so because of the uh, obvious failed embarrassment of the Biden administration to whom black people have voted for more so than Obama, right? Um, this is the new carrot to dangle. So it's going to be, you know, talking about reparations and this legislation is going to make it sound like they're getting really close to making a decision in a favorable way. And then they're going to dangle it and we're going to have various people come out and talking about it. And then it might even spread to a few other states that they're considering it as well. But then, you know, you can't get it passed until you vote. Biden administration can't pass it until you vote them in. And then after it voted in, nothing. Right. This is exactly what's going to happen. We already know what's going to happen here. It's it's not hard. Okay, here's a savage truth. Slavery is a part of our past. Our past Americans. It was brutal. It was evil and it was ugly. Unfortunately, oppression is a part of our story and it should be told. Absolutely should be told in its entirety. But we should never define ourselves by what disabled us but what has indeed abled us to grow, to prosper, and to succeed. The left wishes to use Americans' birth defect of slavery as a bludgeon against the principles and virtues of our founders based on Judeo-Christian values. It was these very same principles that got Blacks, Americans, through the Jim Crow era when racism was actually common and legal. Look, I'm, I'm just not afraid to say it. Black people, especially those of you who believe in reparations, those of you who believe in making babies and not caring for them, for having babies without the benefit of a father, who believe that America is not and never was great and sees everyone and everything and every interaction through the lens of race, you just need to get it together. This is simply immoral. It's a cancer. It's an oozing, pus-filled sore that needs sterilization. So if you are an individual, black, white, or any other, and will not take personal responsibility for yourself, your family, or your community, and you can't salute the flag, you can't sing the national anthem or won't, or recognize America as the only nation that would allow your haughty ignorance to even exist, please do us all a favor and leave America to us. Leave it to us. We have a lot of work to do to clean up your mess you created, polluting and vandalizing our inner cities, indoctrinating our children and lying about our history, attacking traditional family structure and foundations of faith, wreck-balling our education and defaming our flags. To you, I say, good riddance. And so moving on, moving on, moving on, cocaine. Yes, I said it, cocaine in the White House. The supposed most safe, protected, and surveilled entity in America, the White House, had cocaine as discovered and found in a cubby for electronics near the White House's West Executive entrance. So the initial report said that the cocaine was found in a reference lobby. Then 
It was said to be found in a West Wing work area, quote unquote. So what we do know is that the cocaine, the cocaine was allegedly found on the first, on a one floor below the main West Wing offices. And it's the very same floor as the situation room in a dining area. Now, investigators are expected to have completed their investigation into the ordeal in the next few days after review and security footage and checking for DNA and fingerprints on the small baggie that the cocaine was found in. So we all know, don't need to say it, cocaine is a legal drug. It definitely does not belong in the possession of anyone, and it certainly does not belong in the White House. This is just indicative of the foolery and the failure of the ineptitude of the Biden administration. Corinne Jean-Pierre, once again, unable or unwilling to answer any questions surrounding this embarrassment. Where is the morality of this White House? That's my question. Where's the morality? So the entrance to where the referring cocaine was, or this this area, is in the basement of the West Executive um, Wing. It's the row that runs between where most of the White House um, West Wing staffers work. It is heavily trafficked and the press is not allowed there. Apparently, there's a secret agent that sits at the desk right at the door of the entrance who watches into the area at all times and they rotate out. They rotate the agents. So it would have had to be left in the vision of an agent. Having someone always staring at that entrance makes this even more suspicious, but also indicates that the agent knew the person or was familiar with the people or the person themselves and didn't feel a need to frisk or pat them down or take alarm to whoever this person was. The entrance is used by staff family, but also the president. So think about this. The president could have been within feet of a powdery substance with impact unknown. This is absolutely incomprehensible. It could have just as easily have been anthrax or fentanyl or an explosive. It could have been anything. So unless the White House wants to go on record to say that there's a way that could have, there's no way that that could have happened, we know everyone who passes through that door. So if this was a cubby with other things, then who did the cocaine belong to? Now, common sense tells us all that with the surveillance and the amount of security that goes on in the White House, they know who that cocaine belonged to, right? They just simply don't want to say, and we know why. The, the, the bottom line is this. The implications are bad either way you go, right? So if there's cocaine in the White House and Secret Service is saying they can't figure it out, then we're in trouble, right? We are in serious trouble if they can't figure out who smuggled cocaine into the White House. Uh, If not, if they're not going to go on record to say that, then this administration is just simply inept. It's just more clown foolery for this administration. It really does cause us to question the efficacy of of the security around the White House and the president of the United States. Now, they use the term heavily trafficked, but it's not at all on the level of a theme park or a sports game. Even with staff, family members, and friends other, and other visitors, that traffic is not on the, the same level or on the realm of a general term or within the general term of heavy. So if Secret Service of the United States can't find out who smuggled the cocaine within the White House, then we have a whole other reason to question 
um, and want this administration out. Uh, so the president could have been hurt or killed or something else. I do believe, however, that if this substance was something other than cocaine, an illegal drug like anthrax or you know, maybe a bomb or something like that, then the results would have been very different. But for some reason, they want to just hide and muffle this. So um, with the latest news, we do know this. According to the June 30th pool report, Biden was um, giving remarks in the Roosevelt room that afternoon, and he didn't leave until about 6.34 p.m. with the first lady, with Hunter and their little son, Bo. All right. So that whole notion that the, the Bidens were not in the White House that weekend. So we can't look to um, everyone wants to revert to Hunter. Um, they later reverted that. So more embarrassing. Um, I guarantee you that this case is actually already solved. They're just being very tight lipped because they just simply don't want it to get out. So um, we'll stay tuned on that. See what comes about. Finally, 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 let's go to the movies. Let's go to the movies. An action movie entitled Sound of Freedom has performed well beyond expectations at the box office. Harrison Ford's Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny um, was um, the competitor for this action movie, Sound of Freedom. Now, of course, everyone, human trafficking is one of the greatest atrocities happening all over the world. And the statistics tell us that one in four victims of trafficking are children. Um, well, this film, uh, this film, Sound of Freedom, sheds light on this um, important issue. Um, it's a grimacing issue. It's an unfortunate issue. And it's something that is happening not only in just in our country, but in around the world. Um, and it beat out an iconic, an iconic movie, Indiana Jones, with its fifth showing. It sheds light on the true and disturbing nature of the trafficking trade. Moviegoers seem to really connect with this film or at least showed some vast interest selling, um, selling out in limited theaters across the United States. So the movie actually centers around the real life story of the founder of the anti-sex trafficking charity Operation Underground Railroad by Tim, um, of Tim Ballard. This was the fifth Indiana Jones in the series with a budget of $295 million, making $11.7 million. Um, while Sound of Freedom, in comparison, cost $14.5 million to make, and it made almost its entire budget back with $14.2 million, again, beating out Indiana Jones. Um, it's, again, showing in limited theaters. And to me, I think the biggest story here, outside of the, the grand success and that it beat out such an iconic movie, um, was that um, this is clearly a nonpartisan issue, right? Sex trafficking is a nonpartisan issue, but it's disappointing that a nonpartisan issue such as human trafficking has been attacked by the left as a conservative right-leaning movie. It tells the story of Tim Ballard. He quits his job as a, um, a special agent with Homeland Security to brave the daunting mission to rescue children from cartels and human traffickers in Latin America. This is, again, just said to be a very, very important issue, and it has been plagued with a political shadow um, at the film. So I, I think that, in my opinion, the media definitely, as usual, missed the opportunity to promote this film or at least encourage everyone to go see it, as they should do, as they always have done. It's been judged with fear because it definitely has caused people to see the border crisis differently. And I think that's actually the greatest fear of this film and its success and why the left is attacking it, calling it a um, 
QAnon agent um, is because I think that when you go to see this film, not only is it going to pull at your heartstrings, um, but it's going to open your eyes and it's going to get um, people, um, particularly, I believe, um, those who are maybe not on the right to really see our border crisis um, as it really truly is and really cause people to think and look at and look for news on what's really happening there. And, uh, you know, that's detrimental to the left. So that's something they want to definitely stop. This film clearly connects with people in the press, should give it the big push like it gives every other movie. Um, And so I would also say that it's just been really refreshing to have not only a movie that is covering such an important issue, but just that there is actually a movie out there that is entertaining. Um, It's effective and it's creative. Um, It's not done by Disney. Okay. And so um, John Caviezel, who is known for playing Jesus Christ in the the passion of Christ um, is the actor in this film. And he was questioning, he was asked about the fact that Disney rejected the film. And he said, um, and I quote, this isn't Disney's film. This is the people's film. So I am really excited and I'm encouraging everyone to go out and support the film. Um, it's again in limited theater. So please make real effort to go out and seek those films that it's playing in and go see and support this film. Let's make it really, really successful. Um, I think suppressing the reach of this film is, is absolutely unfortunate um, and disturbing and that it's been made a partisan issue when it's definitely not. Um, you know, I am just ecstatic to also have a movie that's creative and that's actually, um, I don't know if you've been going to the movies, but I, my husband and I and our family, we would go to the movies very often. We saw a lot of movies, um, and have been really disappointed in movies in the last two, maybe even three years. Um, the movies all seem to be the same. They seem to have this kind of a, a checkbox, right? Um, there's always throwing in, we got to throw in a transgender. We got to throw in a black, right? We got to throw somebody black in. We got to throw some, maybe a loud mouth, burly or overbearing woman, right? Doing all these um, kind of woke checkboxes too. And it, it just kind of takes away from the creativity of movies again. So I'm ecstatic to hear about a movie that's really successful. It's con- connecting with people. It's anti-Disney, right? The wokest place on earth. And uh, it's really successful. So again, I encourage everyone to go see it. So that being said, everyone, thank you so much for listening. That uh, concludes us today. I I really encourage you to um, please go and uh, like, subscribe, and leave a positive review. It's, again, been an absolute pleasure to connect with you. Um, Until next time, I do encourage you, again, be bold, be brave, be courageous, and above all, be true. Thanks so much. Till next time. The Savage Truth with Cicely Davis is a production of Front Page Magazine and the David Horowitz Freedom Center. Reproduction of this podcast without express written consent is prohibited.